Good morning, good morning, good morning. So I hope you guys are enjoying the service so far. Um, so happy Valentine's Day weekend to all of you. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. So I'll tell you that this is one of those um, holidays that my wife absolutely loves. Um, she absolutely loves all holidays. I'm like, I think we need to get out of America. We might, like, go to Canada or something. I don't know if every other place, like, celebrates all of these holidays. But, like, February is, like, it's Valentine's Day, and then her birthday is next week. I'm like, can we just, like, jump over February sometimes? Um, That would be great. So, in observance of my wife's... um, favorite holiday, Um, the title of my message is going to be Love, right? So since this is the love month, right? This is the month of love, at least according according to my wife. Like, some of y'all probably like, what is he talking about? It's not the love month. It's like Black History Month, but no. In my household, it's the love month. So that's that's where we're going to go with today, right? The month of love. So we're going to talk about love, and that just happens to be my wife's favorite subject. So when she found out I was preaching, she said, hey, what are you preaching about? I said, love. She said, oh, that should be easy. Just talk about me and Carter. (laughs) Carter's my son. I'm like, woman, please, like nobody want to hear about you, like my whole message, right? Yet here I am standing up here talking about my wife, right, for like the whole message already. I I love me some Niger. I I love my wife. Sorry, I can't help it. Um, So in honor of my loving, amazing, caring, spiritual wife, we're (laughs) going to look at her favorite scripture today. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. First Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, reads, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices at the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So here the Bible gives us an amazing picture of what love is. So it gives us an amazing picture of what love is. Um, and, you know, my wife is so patient, right? No, we're not, we're not going to go there again. I'm sorry. So we see here that love is an action word. And nobody puts that action, love action, into practice like our amazing God does. So let's look over um, at Matthew 16, and let's see how Jesus puts love into action in his relationship with Peter. So let's go to Matthew 16, 
13 through 23. When Jesus came to the region, the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Yet on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth would be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. At the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely humans. So here we have Peter, who just finished giving this amazing great confession um, about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, and Jesus tells Peter, man, this great confession had to be given to you from God. And because of this, and on this great confession, I am going to build my church on this great confession. I will give you the kings of the kingdom, and Peter will be the one to open the gates of the kingdom by preaching the gospel message. And seemingly not too long after that, when Jesus tells his disciples who have to die, Peter pulls them to the side. Right? At least he pulled them to the side, right? He didn't do it in front of everybody. Pulled them to the side. So the person that he just made this great confession about, um, and Peter rebukes him. Peter rebukes Jesus, the person he just made the confession about, to be the Savior in the Christ. Peter rebukes him, which is a sharp correction. So after Jesus rebukes him back, right, I can imagine, you know, Jesus could have had a thought that, man, this guy is the one who is supposed to have the keys to the kingdom. But he still has worldly thinking. Like, he's not, he don't have the concerns of God, right? He's not thinking about the things that God thinks about. Maybe I should use one of these other guys to give them the keys to the kingdom, right? Because it's obvious that Peter is not ready. But he didn't do that. He loved him with patience, and he stuck with him, just like God, through his patience, has stuck with us all this time. So now let's go down to Matthew 26, 31 and 35. Matthew 26, 31 and 35. It reads, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock and will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you in Galilee. 
Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I will never. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you would disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. So here we go again with Peter, right? He just don't know why to be quiet, right? You know, I tell my son this all the time. Just be quiet sometimes. Like, your mouth is just going to get you into trouble. Just be quiet sometimes. So now, let's jump down a little further. Read 69 and 75. Um, Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you would disown me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So here Peter is at the lowest point of his life. He denied Jesus three times, and now he's crushed. If there was ever a time for Jesus to lose his patience with Peter, it was right now. I mean, you know, this guy said, Jesus, I'll die for you. Right? He made this bold proclamation. And in front of a little um, servant girl, he's cowering in front of a little servant girl. But Jesus, our loving Savior, continued to love him with patience. Just like God continues to love us with patience every single day. Now let's go to Acts 2.14. Acts 2.14 I'm going to read 2.14 and then jump down to verse 36. So it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Now jump down to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom our Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So here we have Peter, the same guy who cowered in front of the little servant girl, raising his voice to a crowd of thousands, proclaiming the message of God. Um, This is the greatest message that was ever preached in the history of preaching. And to think that if Jesus wasn't so patient with Peter... This would have never happened. Right? And Peter himself 
because he witnessed Jesus' perfect patience, and he had firsthand experience with it, in 2 Peter 3, 9, he writes, <clears throat> The Lord is not slow to keep his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but to come to repentance. So for 30 years of my life, I wanted nothing to do with God. If I'm being honest, I could care less about God, who God was, or what God wanted from my life. But God showed me his loving, his amazing love through his patience. God was patient with me until I finally decided to give him the attention he deserves. And God is still patient with me to this very day because I am a sinner, and because of that, I deserve death, but God gives me life through Jesus Christ. So, church, I want everyone to just take a minute and just think about how God has showed you his amazing love through his patience. So now another way that God shows us his love um, through his actions from the scripture in 1 Corinthians is through his kindness. He shows us his kindness by providing for us. Let's turn over to Exodus 16, uh, 1 through 5. Exodus 16, 1 through 5. It says the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin which is between Eliam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Yeah, right? These guys was in slavery and bondage. And they talking about we ate pots of meat and have everything we wanted to think they wanted to go back to bondage. Um, But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for the day. In this way, I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather the other days. Now jump down to verse 35. It says, The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Wow, right? What an incredible passage. God rained down bread from heaven to provide for his people. The lengths that God will go to to show us his love. Like, I have read this passage many times, um, and I'm always amazed that God would rain down bread from heaven to provide for his people. But what makes this even more incredible, like one day I was reading it, um, and if you look over um, to verse, like, um, chapter 12, verse 37, it said the Israelites journeyed from Ramos to Sukkoth. Um, there was about 600,000 men on foot besides the women and children. 
So, you know, a lot of times reading the Bible, you know, you're reading about all these incredible things that God are doing. And, you know, sometimes we gloss over it, right? God is amazing. I think we get that. Sometimes we gloss over it. But I just sat there and thought, like, man, bread from heaven for 40 years. And the Bible says it was 600,000 men. So these are able-bodied men. These are the young guys. And, and besides them, it was the older guys, and it was the women and children. So scholars believe that it was roughly 2.4 million people that came up out of Egypt. So that means God fed 2.4 million people by dropping manna from heaven every single day for 40 years. In Exodus 16, 16, God tells them to take an omer of manna per person to eat. Now, an omer is equivalent to three pounds. That means it was 7 million, 7.2 million pounds of manna needed every day to feed the Israelites, except on Friday. Because on Friday, they needed 14.4 million pounds of manna was needed because they had the guys enough for Friday and Saturday as well. How incredible is that? Like, man, like, God is such an incredible provider to provide that much food. Now, I can imagine that there was some guys among them that, like, ate a lot, right? And they was, like, trying to get some of the other people's manna. Like, I can picture it was guys among them, like, you know, like Desmond or Victor that we have among us. Now, I don't know if you guys ever had the pleasure to share a meal with these guys. But these guys are like, they're two different types of eaters, right? So Desmond is a no-eater, and Victor, Victor is a minimum eater. So Desmond's a no-eater. He never says no. So it's like, hey, you want another plate? Yeah. You want dessert? Yeah. Uh, you want a snack? Yeah. So Desmond, I mean, this guy is like a bottomless pit, right? And then we have Victor, the minimum eater. So Victor has a three-plate minimum, right? So start at three plates, and then, you know, let's, let's kind of go from there. But, but back to the Israelites, right? So 7.2 7 million pounds of food every day and twice as much on Friday. And can you believe that the Israelites still found something to complain about? You know... When I read about the Israelites, like, I am amazed at these people. Like, the, the Israelites disgust me, honestly. Like, they disgust me. God showed them this amazing love over and over again, and they were so faithless that every time they got into some type of trouble, they basically turned on God. Like, where are you, God? They want, they started crying. I mean, I'm disgusted with them. But then when I look at my life... I'm like, maybe I need to give the Israelites a little grace um, because I am an Israelite. I am just like them. God has done such amazing things in my life. And whenever I have a problem or situation, I'm whining and I'm crying and I'm wondering, God, where are you? It's just ridiculous, right? So I think the problem sometimes is ungratefulness. Um, you see, in God's loving kindness, he always provides. It's just not always what we want. 
right, are always what we think we need. But God always comes through. And when it's not what we want, you know, sometimes we miss it. We dismiss it and we miss it. It goes over our head. But I think if we could just be grateful for every little thing that God does, we will understand how much he loves us and we would never doubt God. We would never doubt him and we could be grateful for every single thing that he does. So God loves us so much. And we see that there's no lips that God will not go to. God will literally rain down bread from heaven for you if that's what he needed to do. So because of God's amazing love, he wanted us to have two responses, right? One is to love him, and the other is to love people, to love each other. Those are the two responses God wanted us to have from his incredible love that he showers us with all the time. So in the spirit of the month of love, I have a two-party challenge for us this, for the rest of the month. The first part is to love people with the actions of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. So for the remainder of the month, go out of your way to be kind, to be patient, to not be self-seeking, to be selfless, to not be rude with people. Not just your family, not just your loved ones, not just your friends, but with everyone. Because God calls us to love everyone. So that means that person on the train who bumps you in the morning, trying to crowd the train, the person who steps on your foot, right, people that you don't like, go out of your way the rest of this month to be kind, to be patient with them, to show them the love of God because of what God has done for you. And the second part is to love God. Second challenge is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength for the rest of this month. Now, I think a lot of times um, we get confused about how to practically love God. But the Bible is clear as day. Clear as day. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Simple. Could get no more simple than that. If you love me, keep my commands. So I want to challenge you guys for the rest of this month. Read your Bible every single day and do what it says. And in that way, we'll show God that we love him by keeping his commands. I love you. Thank you for your time and attention.